As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Great pleasure for OneOuter.com today to speak with arguably the best online tournament player in the world, Chris Moorman, um, who recently second place in the World Series of Europe, second place and third place in various events in Vegas, and just passed $7.5 million in online tournament wins. How are you, Chris? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Good, good. So um, what's more important to you so far this year, the the seconds and stuff in the tournaments or the crossing that first across seven and a half million online? Um, definitely the live stuff really like before this year. I've been playing live for like four or five years before and not really had any success at all. And uh, obviously I still thought I could do it, but you definitely have some self-doubts after that amount of time. So it was uh, really nice to actually like finally start doing well live really this year. Yeah. I mean, you were quite close in the sort of... Well, obviously Ben Lamb ended up, you know, running away with it. But there was a point you had a shot of Player of the Year, wasn't it? Was it if you won the World Series of Europe, maybe or something? Yeah, like if I won the World Series of Poker Europe, I think uh, the main event he had to come top three in the uh, World Series main. So in a way, yeah. it was I'm glad that I, well, obviously I wanted to win, but like it would have been a bit annoying if I'd won and he'd uh, just about sneak into the top three there. Yeah, yeah. So um. You know, you, you went out to Vegas and played all these events, and I saw you got, um, was the second, I think it was in the 10K, six hand, six max, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so, the, I mean, people are saying that that's one of the toughest tournaments in the world. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, for that one? Um, yeah, well, like, I, the other one I got third in was six max as well. I know, I've always felt that six max is, like, by far, far better six max than four ring. Just, mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know, I used to play cash game six max. So I just think, like, my style, I kind of try and get into people's heads and make them make uh, mistakes. Like, full ring, it's, there's a lot, people get a lot more good hands and it's harder to fight back. But uh, six max, you have to make some big bluffs. And, uh, yeah, normally I was lucky to uh, win some races in the big six, in the big six max in the summer. And, uh, yeah, like, it was my, it's my best game and uh, it all kind of worked out for me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, you've had a great year live and, you know, seconds, nothing to be sniffed at, you know, for us mere mortals and probably a lot of professionals. But yeah. a guy like you that's, you know, used to winning and consistently for years online now, um, how much of it still is this sort of, not a monkey on your back, but just like you just want to get that first in some sort of, you know, big live event? Or are you just sort of seeing it what it is and, you know, delighted with second and, you know, a couple of like massive tournaments? Oh, no, I, I'm, no, definitely, I really want to get that live win and get a monkey off my back. Mm-hmm. I was, mm. like, it's a bit, bit, bit sweet getting second, but at the end of the day, it was, like, huge money involved in, like, both the seconds, and, like, I don't know, it helps you get over it a little bit easier, but definitely makes me hungrier to get the win now, and, uh, yeah, next time I get a heads up, I pray to God I, uh, I win this time. Yeah. Um, how much is your dad still needling you that you've, you know, he's the one on the handing mob with like a first place in a live event? Yeah, he still gives me some stick. He's uh, he's 
trying to get into a, another live tournament soon. He said we'll have to do the whole father and something like we did at Cape Town Manchester again soon. So uh, yeah, uh, watch this space. Like he might, <laughs> you know. So yeah. So if you if you think of you know the sort of live game and you mentioned it there with the six max, you know that sort of suits your style and stuff. Um, I can't remember who it was recently. I think it might have been Barry Greenstein, but I, I may be wrong. Um, they were talking about you a hand, um, and I think one of the lines was like, "Oh, Chris Moorman was in, you know, and he did one of these six bet things or something like that." You know, it was one of these things. So, yeah, sounds, you know, you, sorry, it sounds like me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was Barry Greenstein when he was talking through a hand, or um, and I think it was World Series can. Oh, it was about Patrick Antonius. That was it. It was definitely Greenstein. He says, you know, Patrick was unlucky or something in the, and I'm not sure what the hand was, but. Um, how much are you sort of aware of that image that you know you have live, and how much do you sort of almost do you find yourself changing your game? Obviously, it's totally different from online and stuff, certain aspects. But how much do you sort of aware of that image and have to sort of use that? And how much sort of meta game comes into that when people think, right, it's Chris Moorman, you know, he's going to be bluffing or you know, six bet, seven bet, all this stuff. Yeah. Um. Well, like, there's definitely times when I'm playing and I think that some like I'm playing against someone and they re-raise someone mm-hmm. and I'm thinking it would be a good spot to like hold four but but the only problem is I know they're just not going to believe me and uh, I don't want to give them room to like go all in because obviously I can't call so like there's sometimes I think it's a good spot and that they don't have much but I have to turn down the spot just because I just don't think they're going to believe mm-hmm. me but yeah. I don't know I think it's like probably the last six months or so it's been a bit easier because before I would be unsure of who knew me and who didn't, like, because mm-hmm. I because I hadn't really had that much live success, and like, that they, they would know my online name, but they wouldn't like rip, put, uh, be able to put a face to the uh, screen name. So like, it was hard to know when people didn't know me, like. But now I assume most people would have like seen me or something. So I kind of just go with the thought that everyone thinks I'm crazy and like adapt to that really, like. Yeah. I don't know. I've like, been playing a little bit tighter lately, but still got the crazy streak in somewhere. <laughs> good, good. Now you, you touched on something there about you know it's a good spot to you know four bet or you know cold four bet, but you don't do it because of the perception you know that you know your image and stuff like that. Is that sort of like you know you maybe find yourself uh, you know anybody who's probably went through this. Uh, I have certainly you know like you're raising late position or it's folded to you. You're raising you know picking up the blinds and eventually you get maybe like a marginal hand that you would normally raise, but because you've been doing it so much you're aware that they think, you know, they're going to make a stand eventually. So although it might be the right play to, you know, raise, you know, whatever the hand is in the cutoff, etc., you actually fold the hand because of previous action sort of thing. Is it just sort of similar to that? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I don't know, for like an example, say, so, I don't know, say it was, um, you got Jack 10 suited in, uh, like, late position. Obviously, it's like a fine hand. But if everyone was sitting behind you with, like, 15, 20 big blinds, and they're either going to go all in or forward, when you raise, like Jack Ten suit, there's kind of effectively seven, like seven two offsuit because like you can't call when they go all in. So yeah, you like it's better. Like if you've got an aggressive image, like it's probably better just to open fold it, even though it feels kind of dirty. Just folding a, a hand that can make a royal flush. Sometimes yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's got to be done. Yeah, if you can't call it, it's just spewing really, isn't it? Yeah, if you yeah. just raise and then fold. So that's it. So okay, let's talk about you know your starting poker. Um, Chris Moon, how old are you now, Chris? Uh, if you don't mind you're 26 now, and what age did you start playing? Um, like 20, I think. I was in this just um, middle of second year of university. Okay, 
And did you finish university? Uh, yeah, like I finished, but like didn't do that great. But I got okay. through. Well, you've made up with it with poker anyway. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're doing yeah. fine in a lot of graduates. <laughs> so, um, what, how did you start? Was it you know like uni uh, yeah, sort yeah, of poker just, scene? Or? I was in uh, like uh, the pool team at uni, like, and we were coming back from a trip. I think one of my friends was just like reading paper and saw this uh, advert for this student poker on uh, online, like a free roll on every Monday night on Victor Channel the poker, and mm-hmm. uh, you could win. Like I think if you won the tournament, you got 120 bucks and got entry into a live tournament where the winner would get like 10,000 uh, pounds, I think. Okay. So obviously we were all broke students, so this like, sound pretty appealing to us, and we sort of heard briefly about poker and stuff, but we didn't know the rules. But like mm-hmm. me and like five or six of my mates, we all decided to start playing. We like looked up the rules, we were like having home games, playing every Monday night. But we we're all terrible. Like I think I, I mean at times I I didn't even remember if a straight bit of flush and stuff like that. Like I didn't really know the rules, and right. um, one of my mates came third or something for 50 bucks so we were all jealous of him but we kept playing and then uh, one week I managed to come second ironically <laughs> always second but um <laughs> yeah I got second so I missed out on the grand final but I had like 80 bucks that I could use to play with now because the thing was we were all broke and no one wanted to deposit online and be like the gambler of the group like mm-hmm. they were going to get abuse for it so like yeah. now I played with that 80 bucks and was just playing sit and goes and uh was doing pretty good I got up to like three four hundred and then I discovered cash games, which was a bit silly because I didn't know how to play them at all. I was just play- I was only playing no like five ten cent, and it was twenty dollar buying. But I would be going all in every single hand until uh, until I got called, and then I'd more than likely lose. So I'd lose. I'd get up to like twenty two dollars from steering the blinds, mm-hmm. and then I'd lose my twenty two dollars, and then rebuy for twenty. Great my luck, and uh, yeah, I went all the way back down to like twenty five bucks. And I was pretty much over poker and like was going to move on to the next phase or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just put my last twenty five bucks in like one of a big sit and go like twenty five dollar one, like much bigger than I played before. I'd only played like three dollar ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to win it, and then uh, actually learned how to play cash games properly after that. So it's quite strange, you know, if you want to be really philosophical and. You know, like Greenstein mentions it in Ace on the River, like the butterfly effects. If you didn't win that $25 sitting goal, you know, you might have not became like the player you were and stuff. If it, I might have just put you off and you never deposit again, or do you yeah, think yeah, you yeah. always would have came back? I mean, I might have come back like a few weeks later, probably, like when I calmed down a bit, but I mean, yeah, yeah who knows? Like, uh, I know, like, I guess a part of me did want to carry on playing because I didn't put the last $25 in the cash game and just go all in. With it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know, a small part of me obviously was like, okay, I'll go in one of these sitting rows, I was doing good in one of them, like, I came to some sense and decided to play that, and, uh, yeah, like, the poker gods were on my side for that one. Yeah, so you built up, and then I take it you started playing pretty much exclusively setting, setting goals to build your role? Um, no, after that, ironically, I play cash games, and, uh, well, and then, um, um, yeah, paid off my student loans and stuff, and, uh, uh, like the real stepping stone I had though was uh, there was like a monthly tournament I, I used to play. Like I played like ninety five percent cash games, then a couple of tournaments on the side, and mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I went deep in this tournament. I think it was like thirty thousand for the win, and probably my role at the time was like maybe ten thousand or something. So it was pretty huge, and I was in the last thirty. And um, this guy, my the guy on my left was disconnected, like from sixty left. So everyone kept in this big blind, and uh, I was like 
blinding out because I couldn't ever steal the blinds. And okay. I didn't really work out that I could like, re-raise all of them as a bluff. I, I, I thought that was illegal back then. And, <laughs> um, so I was just blinding out. And then finally I got Ace King in the small blind when it was his big blind. So I obviously knew someone was going to raise. And mm. uh, yeah, like clockwork, the guy raised, I shoved. And uh, he snapped calling me Ace Queen. And I kind of started berating him for calling me Ace Queen. And he uh, <laughs> hit Queen. But then after like five minutes, I, I kind of like, I don't know, my, I, it all started, like, I don't know, poker started to work out for me. I was like thinking, hmm, well, like, yeah, he's raised it every time. And he probably didn't have ace-queen any of the other times, I started thinking. And then I, so I was like thinking, oh, I need to adapt my game kind of thing. And I just stayed watching uh, the tournament until the end, and he ended up winning this guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I just said, like, good game in chat or something. And I was like, said, oh, can I send you an email and, like, talk about some poker? Like, mm-hmm. And, uh, like, I was lucky enough that he uh, emailed me back, and uh, yeah, like to this uh, David Gent, his name is like to this day, like we were really good friends, and uh, he helped me loads. Like he was playing, he was like a, probably a year ahead of me in poker terms. Like he was playing three, six, five, ten cash games, which were like some of the bigger games back then. Mm-hmm. He'd let me watch him. Like I'd just talk to him on MSM while he was playing. I'd ask him what he had every hand, and uh, yeah, I'd just watch and learn basically from him. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I developed my game a lot through that. And then, like, he'd tell me when there was a soft game going and I'd sort of sit in the game. So, he and uh, so yeah, he helped me out loads. Right, so he was, like, an important mentor and you sort of taking it seriously and really improving your game and stuff, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And, like, and through him I met uh, this other guy, Paul Fultine, who, like, really, like he, they both went to uni together and they uh, both become professional players. And mm-hmm. he was more into tournaments, so he started teaching me about tournaments. So, and right. then I... Got hooked on them, really. Okay, so you got like a 10k roll round about that time when you're playing cash games and tournaments. Yeah. What was your sort of like, was there some sort of big breakout or was it very methodical building slowly? Um, well, like I was, I was gradually moving up very quickly. Like I played, I think it was summer of 2005. Like it was when, so me and my friend, we just stayed at home and uh, watched the ashes and played poker. Like mm-hmm. I t- lied to my parents, I was actually had a job in Asda, but <laughs> so they thought I was working in Asda at university or summer. But really, I was just playing poker. Right. And um, like I started twenty five fifty cent at the start of summer, and by the end, like I was doing pretty good. And then I like by the end, I was like one two and doing pretty good there. And then literally, like that tournament was at the end of the summer, and then like shortly after that, I skipped like two four and just jumped strings like three six and five ten and mm-hmm. like. Start like I was fortunate enough to run pretty good at the start and uh, yeah, built up pretty quick from there. Really. It's now time for the sponsor strategy segment brought to you by PokerXFactor.com. Hey everybody, this is Alex Cambaris for PokerXFactor.com. So you've just moved tables in a tournament and you find yourself with a hyper aggressive regular on your immediate left. Obviously, this is a difficult spot for anyone, but there are ways to take advantage of the situation. Start by tightening up your opening range. It's a less glamorous adjustment than most people like to make, but it's also a smart one that will save you chips. If you do raise and find yourself getting 3-bet, try to take a stand as early as possible. Typically, it's best to 4-bet these players the first time that they 3-bet you if they're playing the way they normally will be. If you raise full to them a few times, then you've established yourself as a pushover, and even if you do eventually 4-bet, you'll still be down chips from all the raise folding up to that point. Also, if the other player is smart, he will gradually tighten up his 3-betting range as he expects you to eventually play back, so by the time that you do 4-bet, he might not even be 3-betting you light anymore. Play a tight, solid game, but show these players immediately that when you do enter a pot, 
You can't be bullied out of it so easily. Again, this has been Alex Cambaris for PokerXFactor.com. Yeah, so so what sort of buy-ins were you playing for, like, say, when you were playing, you know, 51 or 1-2? Um, just, like, maybe, like, $20 rebuy or something. Like, I was only playing on this one site, so I didn't hand this kind of PokerStars or anything. Uh-huh. I was playing on this one site, so I was just playing what, really what tournaments they had. Like, the only tournament that was really, like, a bit out of my role was, like, they had this 99 rebuy, which only got, like, 60 runners and was, like, quite a lot of regulars and stuff or like big names back then I was like wow I don't know if I can play this like this, this is really good players like I've heard of these players so I'd yeah. need, like watch that one and try and learn a bit and maybe play if I was feeling good but pretty much all the other tournaments on the site were pretty weren't too big so I'd play them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you sort of then then take it to the sort of next level I'm trying to see like you know it doesn't seem like there was any sort of like huge initial score it seems you very much, you know, improved your game, worked hard and, and just like played a ton and, you know, and, and eventually built up a, a bankroll to, you know, do some, do something with. Yeah, I mean, I never had, like, I didn't have a six-figure score until like, um, like two or three years ago. So like the first two, three years or something that I was playing, I never had a six-figure score. So I was like always just putting out smaller scores, just trying to like rack up entries in small tournaments and that's how mm-hmm. I did it really. But like, for me, the biggest change was when uh, the site I was playing on closed down. Uh, what was it called? The GIA um, back in 2000. And, uh, oh, the, the UGIA yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. yeah. And um, so the site closed down, and um, for some reason I couldn't get my poker drag to work with uh, PokerStars or Full Tilt. And I didn't really want to play new cash games with like, all these new regs without any stats in them. So. For like that week while I was trying to sort it out, I just mucked about in some tournaments on Stars and Tilt and uh, was fortunate enough to do pretty well in them. I, was, I realized that like, the players were much weaker than the cash game players. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder why I've been wasting all my time on cash, really, like when I could play these guys who weren't very good every day in these tournaments, which are a bit more fun as well. Mm-hmm. So like I kind of got hooked on tournaments after that, and I didn't really go back to cash much at all after that and uh just yes yeah, start grinding tournaments and spoke to a few different people and uh started developing my tournament game room yeah so what, what about the variance then with you know everyone talks about the variance in multi-table tournaments and compared with the sort of this steady sort of more gradual flow yeah. of money you know in the cash games and stuff how did you sort of deal initially with that and the frustration of you know like 13th and the final two tables lots of times and stuff like that yeah, well, I was fortunate enough that I, like, built up a decent role in cash games, so, like, I could to, like, go on a few downswings in tournaments, like, it wasn't going to sort of kill me at the end of the day if I didn't win for a few weeks, which, like, if I was building, like, trying to build my role in multi-tournaments, I think it would be a lot more frustrating because, obviously, you'll be playing small vines and then you'd have thousands and thousands of runs, so if you come, like, yeah. 13th after, <clears throat> out of, like, 6,000 players in, like, a $5 rebuy, yeah. It's got to be really frustrating because you got so close, but like at the end of the day, it hasn't really changed like your situation at all. So yeah. I was fortunate enough that I had the like decent money behind me, so that if like uh, I went on a little bad run, it wasn't really going to matter that much. And for I, I uh, just, was just playing on my own, and if I wanted to play a live tournament, I'd just play a satellite. And if I didn't get in, then I'd either skip it or sell percentages uh, on like a forum or something. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just. I kind of took it as, I don't know, like the fact that in poker you have a lot of time. Like, I think everyone, a lot of young guys are trying to win everything soon. Like, they, as soon as they start playing, they want to be playing the 10K tournaments and 
when and like in them straight away. Whereas I don't know, I think it's better to learn the game first and uh, just play them when you're ready and like keep a hundred percent of your winnings and yeah, and, like just play on your own really. Yeah. Um, how much of, you know, you say when you first started playing, you noticed like how bad they were compared to cash players and stuff, and yeah. you had a definite edge over the field. How sort of much is your game then? Was it like sheer aggression was, was enough? And now maybe like as people, more training sites and people become more knowledgeable about the game and fighting back against, you know, aggressive players, etc. How much do you think, you know, you've had to sort of even like adapt and, you know, add like finesse to your game or change the game and, there's some spots now that you just would never do that you did then and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, you can, like, back in 2008, I'd say, was, like, the height of when you could just play crazy. Like, I was just out of control. Like, Mm -hmm. I I look back and I think, what was I doing? But, like, literally, I I don't know, I'd just be raising pre-flop until they folded. Like, they'd always... But, um, like, now, like, the problem is, like, if you fall back or something, you... you can't be that confident they're going to like even if they were bluffing they're going to fall they're not going to rebuff you like everyone's trying to rebuff each other and everyone just doesn't it seems like they don't care so you kind of it's kind of better to like I don't know actually have ace king or jacks plus these days than actually have the hand because even if you haven't been playing that many hands people still try to bluff you or whatever and like you can use your image so well but like Uh yeah back in 2008 like you could just run tables over for fun it was it was it was amazing. Like I was yeah. definitely a, I'm definitely a much better player now than I was then, like all round. But back then, like I I couldn't lose really. Like I would rarely have like a losing day. It was just, like amazing. Nice, the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> So, what was your sort of like, like lifestyle then when you were starting out and uh, start were you the total you know stereotypical degenerate playing in your pajamas the whole day you know drinking eating and that was pretty much it or did yeah, you try and was, find some sort of balance? It was a bit weird. I stayed at like my university house for a year like after I'd finished university I stayed there because like a lot of uh, the guys I live with they were a year they were the year below me so mm-hmm. they were still all at university and so they get up and go to university and I'd sort of get up and play poker like I'd be playing during the day though because I was playing cash games so I'd just play all day and then they'd come home from university and uh, then we'd like go out and just drink till like four in the morning then I'd get up couldn't sleep because I'd had too much Red Bull and start playing cash again so yeah it was pretty degenerate probably getting like on average two or three hours sleep a night just uh, playing poker and drinking so it probably wasn't too healthy Mm -hmm. so what about now then is it just the same or Um, (laughs) Yeah, probably no, no. I was trying to <laughs> trying to be a bit like sort of more conscious about being healthy and uh, stuff, but it's definitely hard when you're grinding tournaments in Europe because they finish quite late and stuff. And I can, when it even when they finish, like, even if you finish a bit earlier and stuff, I can find that I can't really go to sleep straight away. Like I need to wind down a bit for a few hours, so like still end up going to sleep pretty late. Yeah, and I, th- I think it seems to be part of it, doesn't it? No matter what tournament or level you're playing, as soon as you finish playing poker, your mind's still sort of, you know, it takes a good while to wind down. Yeah, for sure. Like, you're still thinking through, like, did I, how, how well did I play? Should I play the hand differently? Or, you know, it's just, and just end up, like, doing nothing for a few hours, really. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you're a well-known sort of uh, st- staker of players and, you know, stables and stuff. How is that sort of, going for you and what, what made you get into that was it 
a money-making thing or was it like helping friends out learn the game and you know they could play and you could also make a bit of money what sort of caused that uh, it was a bit of both really like uh, so, uh, my first player he owed me some money and uh like it was probably gonna be quite unlikely that i'd get it back time soon unless i take him soon that came to me with like the proposal i thought he was a pretty decent player so i decided to like take him in tournaments and he was doing all right for me and paying back the money or whatever so i was quite happy about that and then i got a few more players and then just as i was sort of getting into it i had uh one guy ty ryan and he like got second in the pca a couple of years mm-hmm. ago and for like 1.8 million so i mean i got half of it and uh Nice. Yeah, so I kind of like doubled my poker roll in like a day, and I've been playing for like sort of three years solid before that. And like that day that I managed to double it, I just got drunk all day, so it was pretty much the best day ever. <laughs> so I was I was fish hooked in tobacco after that. Like I kind of made a mistake investing in a few team players. Like like at first I was just going for real uh, quality over quantity, mm-hmm. but then I would I started getting a few less like established players still good winning players and I was my plan was just to put them in the mid stakes and they'd definitely be winners in that but then like they got into makeup or whatever and like it would be quite it would be a long time for them to get the money back if they were just playing mid stakes yeah so I kind of took a few shots with them and like put them in some bigger stuff and it didn't maybe work out so well and then like the whole full tilt multi-entry system, tournaments came around so like everyone was playing every tournament four mm-hmm. times or whatever so it was effectively like having four times as many horses so then it all started yeah going wrong and, right. uh, so yeah like i definitely had a lot of ups and downs to staking but i'm still glad i did it overall because like i met like a lot of good friends for it and uh i feel like it definitely helped to improve my game as well just because i got to uh like i don't know i try and put different like people's strong points from different aspects of their game together and to try and mold it into one into like my game really so uh-huh. it really helped like when i've been able to like they've like told me their cars when they're deep in tournaments and i'm like like interesting bluff spots or whatever that i hadn't really thought of before so yeah yeah how much of it you know is there such a thing as like you know stake and tilt that creeps into your game you know if, if guys are you know if you're on a bad run with with the horses and stuff this are you quite good at separating that you know when you play and just keeping that off your decisions and stuff yeah, like, um, and I find that it actually kind of makes me play better sometimes if, like, everyone else is losing. I'm like, okay, well, it's all on me. To, I've got I've got to do the win, then I guess. to try harder and, like, not get complacent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I don't know. You kind of just have to, to sort of take it with a pinch of salt. Like, obviously, like, if a talk, like, guy comes, like, 11th in a big tournament, but it's probably more tilting for them than it is for you so mm-hmm. you know, kind of need to just separate it and not like be too attached and not have like not get to the point where this guy has to win this tournament or it's game over so yeah, yeah. just make sure you don't risk too much uh-huh. so um what's your sort of thoughts on it then you know with the bankroll you're, you're going along for any sort of tournament grinders or even cash game grinders out there you know it's always the shot taking crops up and people can be grinding along quite happy at their level for a few months and then something gets they want to you know take a stab and stuff and a lot of people encourage it what's your sort of like guidelines for for shot taking um i think it depends on like your situation like i don't know if like obviously if you have like family and stuff it's probably best not to be taking shots every five minutes but yeah. it's not if you're like i don't know if you're mentally stable and you like know that if you go broke you're 
I don't know if you've got the mentality to come back from it, then I guess it's not too bad. But I was always like, I don't know, I wasn't too into it. Like, I never really took that many shots just because I have to start again and explain to people, like, I don't know, just explain to people who don't play poker, like my family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, like, oh, I had the poker going and I'd, well, yeah, I lost it all kind of thing. So I never really wanted, yeah. I never really wanted to say that because then I knew they'd be like going, oh, I told you so. So I kind of yeah. never put myself in that situation, but I guess different for different people. Yeah, how much did you lose? So yeah. <laughs> I never really wanted to answer that question. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, we mentioned the sort of seven and a half million, uh, you know, the first player to cross that and stuff. How much do you pay attention to, like, you know, the pocket fives rankings and stuff like that? Um, yeah, when I, like, first started coming into tournaments and stuff, like, that was a really big thing for me, because it was really the only way to measure yourself against, uh, like, some of the other regulars, and, uh, I'd see all these big names up there, and, like, at the top of the leaderboard, and I'd just get into the top 100, and I was like, okay, I want to, like, I'd set myself for, like, a challenge, like, six months time, I want to be in the top 20 or something, like, and it was, like, a goal to work to, like, like, I don't know, like, those days where you didn't, you grind in, and, but you didn't really have anything bad to do. I'd still try and grind because I wanted to get to that level. Like, mm-hmm. Whereas if I didn't have goals, I might have just sort of laid on the sofa and done nothing and just sort of laid about. So like my theory was always if I wasn't like going out that night or meeting up with friends, then I'd play because I didn't want to be lazy. And yeah, so a really good workout. Try and grind and... Uh, it was good, like, good, yeah, good to like motivate myself. But obviously, once you've sort of done well and like once you've got to like number one or whatever, it doesn't really matter as much anymore because like you've done it. But obviously, still like if I look at it and uh, I move down a few spots, I, I think okay, I need to put in a few sessions in the next uh, next few weeks to get back up there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you still got the hunger then, obviously. Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Still, like definitely don't like getting beat. So. Still trying pretty hard. Okay. Um. Obviously, I, I put out that you were coming on, and you know, everyone that plays online poker, you know, looks at guys like yourself and that. So I thought I'd ask you know a few listeners questions and stuff, and I've got a couple okay. here if you want to see what they say. Yeah. Sure. Um. A guy Michael uh, tweeted. Um. How important do you think it is? Um. Or is it a good idea to play cash to improve your uh, post flop play versus tournament regulars? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, obviously, I did it the other way around and played cash before I played the tournaments. But, yeah, like, I found that a lot of, like, supposedly really good tournament players, once they, uh, once you get them past the flop or whatever, they're definitely a lot weaker and they make some big mistakes. Like, they're really, like, I would say the majority of tournament regulars are really strong pre-flop. But, and one, like, tactic I like to use sometimes is, like, on the bubbler tournaments, because, like, if you re-raise someone, they're probably just going to re-raise you back because they're not going to believe you. So you have to end up putting in a fifth bet or something. So it gets a bit crazy high variance. But instead, like you can kind of flat them in position with some marginal holdings and then float flops or raise flops and just like take them out of their comfort zone, which is like their comfort zone to pre-flop because they're playing pre-flop all the time. And they're like online tournaments aren't that deep set, so they don't need to worry about uh, turns and rivers. But like, yeah. if you take them out of their comfort zone, then, yeah, like it's definitely very profitable for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think Neil Channing, you know, f- he's a famous staker as well, and through his uh, black belt poker, he always mentions he looks for winning cash game players to then put into tournaments because he just thinks they- they've got an edge sort of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to teach a cash game how, how to play tournaments than a tournament player how to play a cash, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, a guy, Brian, uh, his name is from Toronto, uh, emailed in his, uh, when first playing for a living, how did you balance cash out to use for living expenses versus building your bankroll? Um, trying to like, think back then. I I remember I'd, I was well, I was actually quite lucky that I had like when I was a student, I got the grant government grant thing because I was <laughs> supposed <Sponger. laughs> yeah, I was supposed to be from a, a bad area, so they gave me this grant, which all my friends were really pleased at. Because I was doing well at poker anyway, so I didn't, they said I didn't need the money. So I kind of yeah. just used, I was lucky. I just literally just cashed in that grant and like lived off that really. Right. And I was didn't really have to withdraw my role very much. So I was pretty fortunate in that respect. Right. So if if you didn't have the grant or you know even just now, like what what do you sort of like for building a role? Obviously, uh, it's different for yourself now. You know the sort of like money you're talking about. Guys that maybe got you know ten fifteen k in their their account and they're looking to start to take a wage. Yeah, I I guess you just pick like a percentage of your profit each month or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure really, but yeah, that's probably the best, probably the way I'd do it. It's just so then you're kind of rewarding yourself on how well you've done. Yeah, I suppose it depends on your circumstances, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, what your living costs and stuff like that. Okay, so um, what's your uh, plans for the rest of the year? So obviously PCA in the new year and stuff like that. Is, is it just playing online until then? Obviously Poker Stars. Uh, Big Sunday million, 10 million guarantee things coming up. It would be nice to take that down, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm actually like flying to Prague on Wednesday for this uh, WPT Prague on Thursday. I think it's a 3K re-entry tournament, so hopefully okay. I can get a stack on one of the two days if I have to, if I bust and end up having to buy them twice. So I think there's that. And then literally like, straight after that, it's EPT Prague. And then... If I bust that on day one, I think I'm going to fly straight to uh, Vegas and later edge the pleasure 10k. All right. So it's pretty hectic a few days. And then, like, after that, there's the uh, Epic Poker event just before Christmas. So I think that's, like, the the live tournaments I'm playing for the rest of the year. Uh-huh. I think I'm, like, 160 points or something behind and then land the card that I play the year, so, which isn't really that much in the whole scheme. Mm-hmm. So I need... need like a one deep run, like one deep run cash kind of thing. And if, if he breaks out and the, like the people behind break out, then uh, yeah, hopefully I can win that. So like that's really my main aim at the moment is to like have a deep run in one of these tournaments and uh, try and win the car per per the year because like it's definitely a pretty prestigious and uh, something that I didn't really think that I was going to be in line for anytime soon, considering I was nowhere, I had been nowhere on it in my life before, and then this year it's all kind of gone right. Yeah. Well, we wish you good luck with that, Chris, and we'll keep an eye out for you in the car player of the year, and hopefully you can get that. Thank you. Okay, thanks for your time, Chris. It's been great speaking with you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.